Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome to the Education on Fire podcast network. This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Season 6, episode 89. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast with me, Mark Taylor. Today on our English season, I'm joined by Daniel Phelps and he's from Planet Poetry and the University of Winchester. Um, Welcome, Daniel. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello, Mark, and uh, it's it's lovely to be here. Thank you. So let's start off with a little bit about you in terms of of what your day-to-day looks like and, uh, and some of your background. Okay, well, I I have a rather mixed background. I I started out as a a primary school teacher and worked in uh, several local schools as well as uh, education other than at school. Uh, I then moved in and I started working actually for uh, a local young carer service. So that's supporting young people who are looking after somebody in their family with an illness or disability or long-term health condition. And uh, that gravitated into me working uh, at a national level uh, working on development and policy issues uh, in regards to young carers. Uh, and now that's taken an, another step forward, really. Uh, and, I, and I do uh, research now at the University of Winchester, and I'm working for a, a university in Switzerland as well uh, on uh, on the issue of young carers, uh, researching the impacts on them and, and looking at how we can move support and policy forward for them. And so... How did Planet Poetry come about and how does that fit into the mix of uh, of all those things? Okay, so how does it fit into the mix? I, I've always had this sort of writing streak that has always tried to come out, but it's not always been, as, as many of us know, it's not always been conducive with our day-to-day job and our work life. And uh, I, I, I will talk in a minute uh, about this uh, novel, my first novel that I've written, written uh, Scientifica SOS. Um, but throughout my work life, it's been very pressurized. Obviously, being a teacher, it's a huge workload. And one of the ways that my writing came out was starting writing poetry. And I had some very early successes with that. And it was published in lots of young uh, people's anthologies and on websites. Uh, and actually, I rose to the dizzy heights of having some of it uh, on the BBC CBB's program. Uh, and so that's carried on. Uh, whilst I've been working, but um, I've always had this urge to uh, pull out a, a, a proper novel, full novel, which I have just done recently, as I say. So why don't you take us into that? Uh, tell us a, a, a bit about the novel and, and and what it's all about and, and how people can get excited about going out to buy it. Okay, sure. So the, the novel, as I say, is, is called Scientifica SOS, and you probably won't be able to spell that, but it's spelt with an X, as in xylophone. Um, so I first drafted Scientifica SOS, you won't believe, but it was almost 20 years ago. So it was when I was actually teaching. And at the time, I thought that the, the power of narrative was not being used uh, significantly or enough. And I set out actually, first of all, to write a series of standalone chapters or, or modules. Um, but I got carried away and I took out, I took six months out of teaching. Um, I, well, I did supply teaching actually uh, for six months and I worked for education other than at school. And it gave me the, the flexibility to, to write. 
I got carried away and these standalone modules uh, morphed into one long full novel and 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 that's where it remained though it remained on my my hard drive uh, I read it to my class when I went back into teaching um, and they appreciated but I just didn't have the time to take it any further so that was the genesis of, of, of Scientifica and um, a few years ago I, I was taking one of my children around a college and I bumped into a former tutor, a former pupil of mine. And he said, Oh, Mr. Phelps, I remember you. Um, I'm just off to, I think it was Cambridge or Oxford and I'm studying biological sciences there. And I remember the book that you read us in class all those years ago. So I was inspired by this and um, I started reading the book to my own children and they, despite their initial reservations, they, <laughs> they, they enjoyed it. Um, so I decided that I had to do something with this, that it had to see the light of day. And what's within the book? What's the premise? What's the what's the story behind it? And how, how does it develop? OK, so uh, without giving too much away, um, I was inspired by the Coral Island when I read it as a child and the Enid Blighting books and the Lord of the Flies particularly. So you may be able to have a, uh, a guess as to what the what the the story is but the premise is that there's five pupils from fir trees primary school and each of them has a as a gift mainly around science and they win a competition and this competition is fantastic it's a trip to america uh, to this theme park but what happens is this uh, this adventure turns sour and uh, it starts turning into a, a, an adventure of a lifetime where they have to fight for their survival. And it's full of challenges, dangers, but also wonder as well. I'm, I'm just I'm just thinking back to what you were saying about, you know, the the, the, the ex-student who remembered you talking about the stories and, uh, and all of those kind of things. What is it, do you think, about actually that kind of narrative in terms of actually the teacher-pupil relationship when you actually have a story and a journey that you're taking on which also has such a big impact because I can certainly remember thinking back to to my childhood and, and actually having teachers oh now we're on carpet story time and that kind of thing and it's quite a special feeling about that isn't there? There is, there is, and um, I, I too remember when I was I, I was five, I think, and I, and I was sitting at the foot of my teacher, and she was reading Emil and the Detectives, and I can remember it as clear as anything, and and that's the power of narrative when you are engrossed within a story, and I wanted to use that. I think that the the power of narrative uh, is fantastic in itself, just to get lost and and for the pure enjoyment, but it also has the potential uh, to support learning in, in a variety of ways. Uh, and I wanted to, I wanted to pick up on that. And what what is it about the actual experience of writing in in that way that inspired you to do it? Was was it just that you wanted that particular story to come out? Because like you say, it sort of happened over a long period of time. Or was there something? I don't know, more cathartic about just, just that sort of writing process? I think for me, you know, people say that within everyone there's a book and, and, and this, this, was my, this was my book, or at least my first book. And uh, the, the stories that I mentioned, uh, The Coral Island, uh, Lord of the Flies, these, these had a huge impact on me. And first of all, I, I, I set out in life, I wanted to be a marine biologist, uh, which I didn't become yet. Um, a friend of mine did, but I didn't. 
Um, so they stay with you. And, uh, you know, when I think back to those stories, it comes with a whole load of mental imagery, uh, pictures, uh, and, and, and all the things that I learned from, from those books and all the wonder that, uh, that I have inside of me. And I wanted to get that out in, in, in a new book uh, for a fresh audience. And in terms of, you know, you said about the time and, you know, and the people, people that are under pressure by having a day job, whether it's a teacher or, or whatever it happens to be, but you've got this creative urge within you. Um, what advice would you give in, in terms of having been in that place and actually then managed to produce something to then give to the world um in in terms of how you go about that you know when you can shelve it and never do it or you could go all in and spend all your time on it but how how did you sort of work out that sort of emotional strand of kind of i know this is important to me and i need to do it but at the same time i still have um, my life in order to to go day to day i mean uh mark that's a good question that's a fantastic question i don't think i have a full answer but uh some of the things that i would say is that first of all people say you know, if you're a writer, the first thing you have to do is is uh, turn up at your desk and you have to do that regularly. So, you know, that's an investment in time. And uh, I think timing is important. You know, if you have a young family, for example, if you have a busy job, it's not the right time necessarily. Um, but you can still make some steps towards that goal. You know, if you have the goal, if it's if it's deep within you, then you can do it. Um, so the steps that you can make, you, you can start making plans, you can, you can collect notes, you can collect ideas. But then, you know, you have to choose the right time to do it. Uh, and I actually had a, had a window of opportunity uh, this time last, well, this time last year. Uh, I had a few months and I thought, well, I'm not going to have this time again. I'm going to do it. And, and I did. And I met uh, uh, my illustrator, a lovely lady called Beth Gibbs from the, uh, the Winchester School of Art. And um, that was also having that having that uh, other connection. It gave me more of a responsibility to, to, to complete the task, having having a partner to, to work on this book with me. I think there is definitely isn't there something about when there when there's a something in the in, in the sand that says on this date or in this opportunity of whether it's the summer holidays or whether it happens to be by the time I get to Christmas I'm going to have done X, Y and Z that actually enables you to move forward otherwise it does just sort of tick along as, as something which is going on and on and on and on and I do find it interesting that kind of process of, of when those things start to change enough and I think actually like you said being patient there's there is often a time and a place for these things you know and it may be when you've got a small family you just really don't have the time or when you're in the, a really high stressed job and you've got lots going on that's not the time as well but I think if you if you're if you're just able to separate those things out enough to know that there's something in there that is important to me which I will then go whether that happens to be writing a book or whatever it is that you're passionate about you will find the time and if you allow that time to come in whichever way it is then you know and and anything anything is possible within that And and I think you're you're a great example of of that as you said it's happened over a long period of time but when that time comes and with the support of other people or like you say with the responsibility of working with someone else then then that does all produce its its final um conclusion yes absolutely and I think to be fair you know um 
I think the end product that, that I've got now is much better than, than what it was 20 years ago. And I think uh, my, my, my work life has, has helped me develop those skills to write better. And certainly the, the writing of the poetry, which was, which was doable uh, over the last sort of 20 years, has certainly increased my skills. So, you know, I think it's turned out much better. It's just taken a long time. And uh, as you say, I think patience, patience is the key. And and let's let's talk a bit more about the poetry and your Planet Poetry website. Um, what type of poetry is on there, and and what sort of material is there for people to look at? Sure. So it's uh, the website is called planetpoetry.co.uk, and it's it's a whole it's just children's poetry primarily. Although there is a there's a link to some adult poetry as well, um, and it, it it's primarily uh, well, it's a range it's a range of fun entertaining poet poems. I do tend to try and uh, create poems that are inspiring, uh, motivating, but also that that, that help young people uh, and adults think. So, you know, some of them are quite challenging, I hope, but a a real mix. And in terms of, um, for our teachers listening, certainly, in in terms of doing poetry in school and, and their whole idea of how literacy is taught or or experiences children i mean do you find actually um your experience of having written like that is is really helped you when you were a teacher and and in terms of teachers who are looking for material these days Uh, well i think i think any kind of outside interest or skill or activity that the teachers undertake i think they're all fantastically useful because you're bringing other dimensions into the classroom aren't you so i mean just going back to, to the poems themselves, one of the things that I, I've tried to do is to use them uh, as a teaching vehicle. I mean, we all remember, don't we? We remember clearly all the all the nursery rhymes that we we learn as, as children, and and you know they are embedded in our in our brains. Um, we all know Humpty Dumpty. We all know, you know, Ten Green Bottles. Now, do do we actually use that? Uh, and so I've I've written a, a, quite a lot of poems that that are actually teaching real important concepts uh so that children learn it and you know i'm 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 amazed i'm still amazed really how capable children are are able to learn when they're not learning you know when they're simply having fun you only have to look in the playground and then they pick up skills and and crazy dances and all sorts of things when they're just having fun and i guess that brings us very nicely on to how children are learning at the moment in in, in the classroom in terms of um, one of the things my my daughter's just gone to secondary school and one of the first things she said was when she saw her timetable was oh I don't have to do English first thing every single day (laughs) Um, and 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 I just thought you know just just the just the I don't know the, the energy and the emotional attachment to that which was kind of because she seems to really enjoy English in terms of stories and in terms of you know creativity but just that the way that that felt of terms of first thing every morning I've got to do some kind of English and I need to know this type of thing um what, what are your thoughts on on how we can get that fun back and that just so that that children aren't being sort of shut off to having to do x y and z and actually having that freedom to learn in that fun fun environment well, I mean, I, I concur with your daughter totally. I, I, when I started teaching, it was in the early days of the National uh, Literacy Scheme. And, you know, I found it very, very restrictive. Uh, and I, I wasn't a fan of, you know, having a text up on the board and dissecting it to death. 
uh, and as a as an aspiring uh, author, I, I certainly didn't like that. And you know, we've heard we've heard many authors say the same thing. Um, yeah, so you know, we, we don't want to kill we don't want to kill the enjoyment of of uh, reading. And and so it's a balance, isn't it? You know, we, we we've got to give we've got to give young people the space to enjoy writing for what it is and to get lost in it, like I did uh, through uh, Emil and the Detectives, etc. And and you know that was partly the reason that I I wrote Scientific SOS. I wanted I had this idea that on a Friday afternoon I would be able to. Uh, read this to my class on a weekly basis and you know I thought it was justified because although the timetable was incredibly tight and restrictive this was going to be teaching science as well so it was going to be double up as a as a science lesson and so and that was that was my motivation and I think what I, what I really enjoy about that as a concept is that actually I mean, maybe it takes us a bit deeper into you know giving the teacher the responsibility and the respect as a professional to enable to do that but um, what's really key there is the fact that as the educators ourselves we're actually given the, the, the scope and the understanding let us give you the learning that you need but let us deliver it in a way which we know the children will really grab hold of and and like I say within the, that skill structure you can make such a big difference and, and 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 because you know your children the best as well you know that kind of personalized learning within that can really really support so many people yes absolutely i mean uh, the, the issue with that is that it takes probably more time to plan in depth and and as we all know time is time is uh, of the essence and and there, there possibly isn't that time although you know it's it was certainly done in the past and and maybe we're trying to cram just too many things too many facts into our uh, young people these days so if there are any aspiring writers out there who um who are thinking do you know what i really would like to to, to write a book or, or create a story or, or, or sort of, sort of for, for their own real enjoyment and their own real benefit can you share some of the some of the things that you found really supportive for you and I'm, and I'm I mean I'm not a writer myself so I have no idea about this but in terms of you know is is it really important to have a complete overview is it important to have all all these characters you know really sort of um, in depth before you start or, or is it much more free-flowing than that and I guess that's different for every author but but certainly share us your experience of, of how you went about it I, I think you're right I think it's it must be and is different for every author as I said you know mine went totally off piste my plan it, it was going to be a series of uh, standalone modules and it, and it wove together into one long novel so um yeah i i went i went off off piece totally um it it, it also develops it's 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 organic it's, it's alive as you write it as well so um yeah you you, you have a you have a, a goalpost which you aim for but you don't necessarily get it in the goal and you you know you score another goal so you reach a different destination i'm sure often and and I guess that's the that's the great thing about creativity, isn't it? Is is just almost getting out of those sort of confines that you have in so many parts of your life or so many areas of the curriculum is is actually just to 
when you're doing it purely for yourself you can you know you can make up the rules to some extent and actually just go with the flow and then from there your experience um grows each time that you do it and um and i think that's a it's an, it's an interesting thing especially for students these days as well where there are so many rules of things that you have to do i think they find it slightly difficult sometimes to have that freedom and and i think maybe just uh, a combination of some structure within within that actually gives them the um, more support to do those things Absolutely. I mean, education for me is, is much is much broader than that. You know, it's about nurturing creativity, nurturing curiosity, you know, helping helping children learn how to learn and, and developing it and encouraging, you know, lifelong learning habits. I mean, it has to be that. That's what we want them to do when they leave school. So um, we need to we, we need to help those things when they're at school. In terms of the future of, of your of your book and, and and those kind of things, we chatted just a, a little bit before in terms of um, of gamification. How, how do you sort of see how you'd like it to take on a, a life beyond just being um, something that you can read? Sure. So, I mean, my my first my first hope is that uh, scientific SOS that, that that children enjoy it pure and simple that they enjoy it for as a book as an adventure and i've tried to uh, i've tried to put in there a lot of descriptive bits uh because not everybody's going to be able to uh travel to some of the places that i'm describing and and, and that's important um secondly i i you know i wanted to inspire young people with um to look at the world differently uh, and to see science all around us because it's there but also to see the beauty of science as well um, thirdly, I, I wanted to support people's learning. Uh, you know, all all the characters are continually asking questions of each other, of themselves. Um, so I wanted to encourage questions. It helps, and I will go into this in a minute, hopefully. Um, but it helps uh, children to learn concepts, and it also helps them to to remember facts and figures um, and I've woven in lots of different memory tricks into the uh, into the narrative so you know it's put I think it's perfect for, for, for personal reading for homeschooling but also to be read as a, as a class um, and and it's a fantastic launch pad I think for uh, for children to ask questions and to start exploring science themselves so it sounded a little bit like the the book itself is is like a spark for learning and and understanding and ex- exploration. Can you tell us a little bit more um, about what that what that is and, and and how that sort of works for you? Sure. So my my degree was in experimental psychology, which was many years ago now. But I took away from that some 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 simple uh, messages about learning and teaching, and and one was that children are wired to learn. You know, they, they naturally pick up things. And we all know that. Secondly, is that children learn brilliantly from each other. The third one is that uh, content is vital. Uh, sorry, context is vital. Uh, context provides meaning and it helps us understand uh, and remember things as well. And, and fourthly, that enjoyment and interest are absolutely key. So I, want, I, I felt that uh, stories, that narrative, are able to offer all these uh, key elements of learning. Um, so, for example, you know, I'm hoping that the story will bring interest and enjoyment. Young people may not necessarily uh, enjoy looking at a science textbook, for example, but they love amazing science facts and they love stories. Secondly, the story, I hope, as I said, it brings meaning. And with meaning, it gives you a reason for learning things so i you know throughout my life i've realized 
reflecting on my own learning that, you know, the, the things that I've remembered that I've learned, it's things that I've seen a meaning to, to learning where I haven't seen the meaning. It's kind of just gone over the back of my head. And, and as I say, the third thing is that it helps helps young people, encourages them to ask questions themselves. So that's that's the kind of the general thrust of the book. But the second thing is that narrative is a fantastic vehicle for context. Um, and context, as I say, it provides it provides the meaning. So if I said to you, you know, board of education, you may have an image in your mind. But if I expand the, the context there and I say over there, Mark, is the room where the board of education meets, that's something quite different. So the context is, as we know, it's, it's, it's vital. And as I say, I call it actually, a, I call it a, a context web. The context web will help young people understand what's going on, but it also help things stick to it, just like a, a spider's web. The third thing is that it helps, the story helps young people to remember facts and figures. So I've woven some poems in there, for example, um, and as I say, you know, we we all remember the, the the nursery rhymes of our of our childhood. And for example, here we go. So here's 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 one about forces. We are the forces. We push and pull and twist. We make things move and we make things stop. We slow things down and we speed them up. Now gravity is a special force. It pulls things down to the ground. If we didn't have gravity while sitting on the lavatory we'd all start floating around. So, you know, I, I put in things like that throughout the book and it, that, that poem goes on a bit. Um, and I've also woven in other memory hooks. So for example, I'll read you a little text. Um, this, is, this is a conversation between the, the characters in, in the story. Um, and, and they're looking at a sunset. And, and, and the conversation goes like this. The sun rises in the east, and that's over here, she said, nodding vaguely in the direction of our landing site. That's how I used to remember that the sun rose in the east, because yeast makes bread rise. So these memory hooks are, are you know, are replete throughout the book. The fourth thing is that um, the children, uh, the characters themselves, they're teaching each other. And uh, as I said, you know, when you look at the, the in, in the playground, the older t the older children uh, are teaching the younger children all sorts of things. And uh, this is what I've, I've tried to en encompass within the within the story as well. So I'll give you an example of that. So the, the children, the characters have just uh, just discovered this incredibly beautiful blue lagoon. And there's uh, tumbling waters and rainbows uh, all around them. So why do we get those rainbows? I asked, gazing into the tumbling waters. Well, I'm glad you asked that one, said Anna, because I've always wanted to know that. I kind of know, said Aisha, but I'm not sure if I can explain it. Oh, go on. Have a go, Aisha, urged Anna. OK, she sighed reluctantly, screwing up her face as she thought. The white light from the sun, she began is made up of all the colours of the rainbow. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo and violet. I remember that from the run or you get boiled in veg. My brother made that up. Anyway, she continued, the water drops split up the sunlight into different parts, into its different colours. And that's it, really. We see all the different parts, all the colours. So it really is just a case of 
I guess it, like you say, it captures that imagination. You start to understand it. And what I really liked about what you were saying there is you can really start to see how, as you're writing, you know, putting this sort of educational learning ideas as well as the actual le- learning part, like you said, just from there in terms in terms of the rainbow idea, that that really sort of brings everything to life. And um, and um, and and I think the people that will read it and 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 if it's been read to them, um, I, I would imagine will be really inspired by that. So, um, what, why don't you give us some, the details in terms of, of of where they can get hold of it so that they can actually read it for themselves? Sure. So um, Scientific SOS, as I said, it's, it's spelt with an X, um, as in xylophone. And um, there's no there's no wizards or spells or, or, or anything like that. It's it's purely based on 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 the wonder of nature. And I think, you know, I think there's enough of that out there for a lifetime. Uh, the adventure is uh, aimed at children aged eight to 12, although my uh, father in law read it and I think he enjoyed it immensely. Um, as I say, it's not a science book. It's first and foremost a, a children's adventure book, but it happens to have science in it. And uh, you can buy this on, on Amazon, and it's in uh, ebook form, Kindle form, uh, but you can also buy a, a paperback copy. So tell me, what, what are your thoughts on the future and, and how life will look like um, in, in the coming years? Okay, so I think there's two things I'd like to say on that point. Firstly, is um, is around... Well, we all we all have heard on the news continuously, really, about the the stresses that children are under and 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 the, and the mental health crisis that we're facing with our with our young people. So I think for me, you know, uh, the more fun and excitement that we can bring to the classroom, the better. Uh, where young people are, are enjoying learning, that's when they're going to be uh, learning best, and that's going to be helping their, their their mental health in general. The second thing is that you know we. <laughs> Uh, we're competing, aren't we, uh, against technology in in all areas of life, and and particularly in education. You know, young people are are spending more and more hours engrossed in uh, in games and te- uh, mobile phones, etc. And the reason is is they're exciting. So education it needs to be exciting. We need to keep up in some way. Um, so it's sort of horizon scanning, I suppose. You remember the film The Matrix, of course. Um, Neo in The Matrix, he learnt karate in in two and two minutes flat or or whatever, and, and this was through a digitally downloaded training program where Morpheus was his his coach and his uh, uh, his fighting sparring partner. So I don't quite see that coming just yet. However. What I do see is that there's there's an increasing role for for virtual reality simulations, a kind of hybrid, I suppose, between games and, and narrative stories, where children are the agents uh, in various simulations that have been carefully designed um, to provide learning opportunities um, and to explore, you know, where they can explore different worlds. I think that the key thing here is that you know we we need some well-written training programs so the narrative if you like needs to be needs to be strong but yeah i think you know i think uh, we're going to see a lot of changes in in education um, and i don't think they're too far around the corner i think that's a really interesting concept and i can see almost every child in a classroom putting their hands up to say yes we'd like to be doing that tomorrow <laughs> if it became a became an option and um and 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 it does just remind me a little bit because I was just thinking about the time of that you know and 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 how that that as an idea would work in today's classroom and um just recently again I was um watching the uh 
the Sal Khan um, from the Khan Academy um, talk on the TED Talk and and him talking about the whole flipped classroom idea in terms of of children learning certain things at home. Um, via videos and, and, and learning in their own time at their own progressing at their own rates which then frees up the classroom time because then the teachers are able to support the children in what they've already learned rather than delivering what they need to learn in, in class and I thought it, it just reminds me then I thought actually when they've understood concepts or when they've done certain things elsewhere either if it's pre-class or in a different time to then sort of have the time to then enhance that and support the things they've learned and then add on to that while you're doing something again like you say in a, in a sort of a virtual reality world or whatever when you're able to really almost experience it as well as learn it I think those two things together really sort of a, an exciting concept of how learning could be from the future onwards. Yeah, so I, I think we have to be careful. I, I can see I can see the teaching role shifting, if you like, to ha- perhaps much more of a coaching role, uh, you know, guiding, inspiring, motivating, uh, where where teachers are, you know, they act also as soundboards and helping the pupils reflect on their learning. You know, more of a more of a Morpheus type character, using the the Matrix metaphor. But um, yeah, I think we still have to be very careful on how we how we go down that route. I don't think isolated learning is necessarily a good thing. Um, and, you know, we are social beings. And I think uh, that's that's very important. Uh, may I just read one other short ep- episode of it? Short Please text. Yeah. We watched the sun set over the water. Slowly, it dropped in the sky, growing larger as it fell. By the time it reached the sea, it had become a huge golden orb. For a moment, it seemed, we could walk right over to it, across the sea, which now sparkled and formed a carpet of gold, leading to a faraway treasure. And what a treasure it was, our sun, a star, one of billions, but to us, special. Our sun that gives energy and life to our little planet. Eight minutes is what it takes, I remember my dad saying, eight minutes for its light to reach us. Just as the waves were coming towards us now and breaking on the reef, the sun's light was also coming towards us in waves, but much, much faster. About 150 million kilometres in eight minutes. That's pretty fast, isn't it? If you tried to drive to the sun in a car, Dad had told me once, it would take you over 150 years. So so the book as well, it, it, it weaves in over 50 scientific concepts, facts and figures, uh, ranging from shooting stars, meteorites, satellites, talks about air pressure, the Earth's atmosphere, uh, rainbows, focusing of light and lenses. It talks about the, the oxygen uh, needed to sustain the body, the circulatory system, friction, gravity, surface area, pressure, volume. Uh, rainbows, thunder and lightning, and the list goes on as well. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me, Daniel. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you, and um, and I certainly cert- I've certainly learned a lot in terms of of, of of the writing process, in terms of how you, how you've gone about it. And um, and once again, it's planetarypoetry.co.uk is is a place for all those poems and and that part of the website. And you can you can get hold of the book on Amazon. Thank you very much for joining me today. Mark, thank you very much indeed. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.